0: The following message is brought to you by Berean Bible Church and may be used and distributed free of charge. For more free audio, video, and text resources, be sure to visit www.bereanbiblechurch.org. Thank you. morning. I'm going to welcome you this morning to Berean Bible Church. It's good to have you here with us. I think you're aware by now we've suspended our study of 1 John during this COVID-19 event. And I'm really not a big fan of topical message messages, but I think that right now the church really just needs to be encouraged. One of the reasons I don't like topical messages is because if you're not taking the verses in context and you're just pulling out a verse here and there, it sometimes ends up being spoof texting instead of proof texting. Okay? So I'm gonna ask you to please be a Berean and check behind me and make sure I don't do any spoof texting. I certainly try not to. <laughs> Um, I think that this, uh, (coughs) this coronavirus has affected all of us, some much more than others. Since this event, we've been here, as I said, doing topical messages, trying to encourage you. We spent several messages talking about the sovereignty of God, because this is something that I think you need to understand if you're going to deal with the rough circumstances of life, all right? No matter what happens, Yahweh is in control, and He's working a plan. Now, He doesn't tell you that plan, so don't get ticked off because you don't know the plan. You're not high enough on the level to get the plans, but He's in control. We just need to trust Him no matter what happens. We talked a couple weeks ago about overcoming our fear with faith. You know, there's a lot of fear out there right now. I mean, people are afraid of the virus. They're afraid of government. They're afraid of an economic crash. Now we got meat shortages, murder hornets. Oh my word. Listen, the lame stream media is pushing fear and panic every way they can. The stuff they're saying, listen, is mostly lies. They're making stuff up and they're getting caught at it. They're making it up. <clears> the <throat> last week we looked at the subject is the church essential? I said it was. Now, you might think I'm prejudiced because you know I do this for a living, but no, I think it's essential. I always thought it was essential. Uh, I can remember one day after getting out of the hospital. I was in the hospital for three weeks. I had Guillain-Barré syndrome. was totally paralyzed from the neck down. The very first Sunday that I was home, we went to church, and I had um. This was in the 70s. Okay, so don't judge. But I had my yellow my yellow leisure suit, and I was styling. Okay. And my wife got me down the stairs and we got out in the backyard and it was raining and I'm trying to walk and I could walk if, my knees, if, my, if I locked my legs because my muscles were too weak if I bent them. Well, I hit a stone and I fell to the ground and so I'm laying in the grass and it's raining and I got a yellow suit on and Kathy's crying and I'm like, we're going to church. So she finally got me up. She goes, we're going back in the house. I said, oh no, we're going to church. And we went to church and we had a great time, me with a dirty leisure suit on. But I was so happy to be among the brethren, praising God. I just have always, as since I became a Christian, to me it's important to be with the believers, to share with the believers. We pulled up at the church that day and a couple men came out and grabbed me out of the car and carried me in the church. And we just had a wonderful time. A wonderful time. You know that there has never been a time in the 244 year history of this country when the government shut down churches? In 1918, you know what happened? Spanish flu caused a global pandemic. Not a pandemic, but a real pandemic, okay? Which killed young, old, sick, otherwise healthy people. Estimates vary on the exact number of deaths caused by the disease, but it's thought to have infected a third of the world's population. They say it killed at least 50 million people. Not one church was shut down. 50 million people had killed. <laughs> a couple of months ago, having the church shut down by the government, who would have believed that? Nobody would have believed it. Nobody would have thought it. No, that would never happen. It used to be in a time of crisis that the politicians would turn to the church. Hey, would you pray? We need help. Turn to God. Not now. Now they deem the church as non essential. And tell you, you, can't meet. How do you defend the thinking that liquor stores and abortion mills are okay to be open? But churches, that's dangerous. Who who in their right mind, oh, obviously that's a dumb question, because nobody in their right mind is making up these rules. Somebody out of their right mind, okay? It's absolutely ridiculous. You know, Trump says light kills this, and so what do they do? Now they hate light. Stay out of the light. you in the light, we're we'll going to arrest you. We were at the ocean front last week, Kathy and I, riding bikes, and Zoe, it was a gym class for Zoe, riding bikes on the oceanfront, beautiful day, a lot of people down there. Saw a cop come up to two people, elderly people sitting on a bench, you're not allowed to sit. You have to be exercising or fishing or leave. Well, You're outside in the fresh air. You can't do that. I'm just so sick, it just makes no sense to me. Well, how did they do it? I mean, how did they convince all these churches who would never have imagined this to shut down? How did they get all these businesses to just shut down? They caused fear and panic. They got the media on their side. Fear is a very destructive thing. And we have to understand that when we are afraid, it's because we're not trusting God. And I think the best way to overcome fear is to cultivate a sense of the presence of God. Fear is a result of distrust. It's taking our eyes off of God and being occupied with the difficulties and the trouble. Faith and fear are opposites. Whenever you fear, you're not living by faith. You are not trusting God. Because He is in control. And they used a fear campaign to get the pastors and everyone else to go along with their shutdown. And the fear campaign continues. Now, I understand that when they first did it, we had no clue what was really happening. 200,000 people will die in the United States. Where did they get these models? Who made this stuff up? So we're like, okay, we'll do it. Well, now, come on, the smoke's clear. We can see clearly now, and yet we're still in fear. And like I said, the fear campaign continues. New York's governor, Como, on May 4th, said this. You could literally kill someone by not wearing a mask. That is fear, people. They're pushing fear. You know, scientific evidence shows you're in more danger wearing a mask than not. But people don't, you know, Cuomo went on to say this. The question comes down, how much is human life worth? Do you understand who's asking that idiot question? A real idiot. The guy who murders babies, loves to kill babies. We got, how much is human life worth? You don't have a clue what it's worth. What the government does today will literally determine how many people live and how many people die. That's not hyperbolic. No, it's foolish. The government doesn't determine who lives and dies. God does. Okay? I give life. I take it away. It's God. It's not Andrew Cuomo. Believers, the truth will set you free. And we're living under so much falsehood right now, that's why there's panic and fear. Truth will set you free. All this fear is unfounded. According to the CDC, as of 4:26:20, 20 there were 488 deaths from COVID-19 in Virginia. Okay? 488. And in 2018, in the same time period, there were 1,283 deaths in Virginia from the flu. Not one church shut down. No businesses were shut down. No one's running around in masks and gloves. What happened? Three, almost three times as many people died, and nothing, because it wasn't a pandemic then. There's an agenda here, people. There's an agenda. Back then, in '18, people ate at restaurants. They went inside. They sat down. Amazing, isn't it? I miss the little things. <laughs> I just want to go sit down at a restaurant and tell some lady. Go get me some food or some guy. I don't want to be... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, sexist. All right. (laughs) Uh. Okay. Listen, last week we talked about the fact that the church is essential and it should be meeting. Despite what our government might say, the local church is essential to believers. I realize it's not essential to non-believers. We're not talking about that. But we are literally, we talked last week, we are, as the church, we are the presence of Christ on earth. We reveal Christ, even as Christ reveals God. And the church's mission is exactly the same as Christ's mission was when He was here on earth, and that is to proclaim the truth of God. So I don't know about you, but I think that's essential. Much more essential than... Having babies murdered, or getting your alcohol, or the pot dispensaries, they're still open, okay? Now, what I want to do this morning is I want to expand a little bit more on this idea of the essential nature of the church. And I want to look at a verse to kick us off from Acts 20. In, In Acts 20, we find Paul's message to the Ephesian elders. Paul was finishing up his third missionary journey, he's on his way back to Jerusalem, and his ship landed at Miletus. So he sent word to the Ephesian elders, asking them to meet him at Miletus, which is about 25 miles down the coast from Ephesus. And when meeting with the church elders, Paul said this, Be, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So Paul tells these elders that their task is to care for the church of God. The word care here is the Greek word poimeno, which means protect, feed, care for, lead. Now, care for is not really the best translation here. It's pretty weak, I think. The, the word is, poimeno is much broader than that. If they, a lot of translations or some translations have shepherd. That's where we get the word pastor comes from this. Shepherd, pastor, care for the church. All right, It's much broader than just caring for. Young's literal translation puts it this way to feed the assembly of God. The way a shepherd cares for his sheep is to feed them. A pastor's priority is to feed the people to teach the Bible. Shepherding can be boiled down, I think, to two things. Feed and lead. Teach the Word of God. Live a godly example. The Puritans spark renewal in large part through their commitment to preaching as the pastor's primary task. How messed up were those Puritans that they thought the pastor was supposed to just... That's his primary job. Teach the Word of God. For the Puritan, faithful preaching was the basic ingredient in faithful pastoring. John Owen says this, The first and principal duty of a pastor is to feed the flock by diligently preaching of the Word. This feeding is of essence of the office of pastor. So this flock that these elders are to feed, he says, is the church of God. Now, is Paul telling the Ephesian elders to shepherd the universal church? We talked about that last week. We have the universal church which encompasses every believer ever born. We have a local assembly when the church gathers. What is he telling these Ephesian elders to shepherd, to care for? The universal church? No! How can they do that? He's telling them to shepherd the local church where they live, in Ephesus. Now watch the local church, and then he says this, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, the word obtained here is not the common word for to buy, in the sense of buying a slave out of the market. This is the Greek word peripoieomai, which means to get for one's own. The force of this word is, I have made these things my own. See, the flock was obtained with the blood of his own one the sheep were so valuable to God that He obtained them with the precious blood of His own Son. Peter wrote this, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. When we think of the cross as the divine purpose by which the Son of God, the second person of the eternal Trinity, came to earth, took to Himself a human nature, and in that human nature offered an atoning sacrifice to the Lord God for the people of God, then we have the eternal purpose of God and it's God who is active at the crucifixion of the Lord Yeshua preeminently and not man. So He has obtained the church with His own blood. This shows how valuable the local church is to God. Yahweh has purchased the church with His blood, and He calls believers to gather together at the local church for corporate worship. Throughout the New Testament, we see the church came together to worship corporately. In 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, 17, He says, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together... So they were coming together as a church. He said, It's not for the better, but for the worse. For the first place, when you come together as a church... Again, I hear there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. So, they were coming together like they should, but they weren't doing what they should when they came together, right? When you come together as a church is literally when you come together in an assembly. So, Paul's speaking here of the church meeting for worship. This phrase is used several times in 1 Corinthians. It anticipates the coming together of the local church for corporate worship. Now, in the 20th chapter of Acts, we see all the Christians in the city of Troas meeting on Sunday for the Lord's Supper and teaching. He says, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. The book of Hebrews goes on and tells us this. It says, not neglecting to meet together. So he's talking to Christians, don't don't neglect meeting together. That's a negative side. We shouldn't forsake our assembling. Because, listen, believers, we can't help one another if we don't see one another. We can't encourage one another if we're not with one another. So, on the positive side, we come together. We are to be, we are encouraging one another. He says, but encouraging one another. The Greek word for encouraging here, parakaleo, which means to encourage, to comfort, to beg, beseech. What's really interesting about this word is this is the exact same word for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're to be ministering as the Spirit in each other's lives. It speaks of a coming alongside to help. When we get together, we're in, to encourage one another, to build one another up. Peter and James expressed it this way. James says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power, and it's working. You say, or to confess our sins to one another, yeah, that can be a very encouraging time. I remember it was many years ago now, but at our, we always have a worship service before our teaching time at Berean. We're going back to that next week, as a matter of fact. Okay, but we meet together as a family to share with one another. And at one of these meetings, one of our men stood up, an elder, as a matter of fact, and shared his, uh, you know, confessed his sin. And later, one of the new men who was a new Christian came to me and he goes, wow, that was so encouraging. I'm like, what do you mean? So and so sharing what he goes, you know, I thought I was the only one to struggle with that stuff. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool, you know, because he's a new Christian. He doesn't know. And he looks at experienced Christians. Well, they're still struggling. Good. I'm not <laughs> I'm not a weirdo, whatever, you know, and he therefore he was more open to ask for help. We all struggle, people, so it's encouraging to confess our sins. It's encouraging you to pray for one another. Peter says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I love that he has to add that. Be hospitable, but don't grumble about it, okay? As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the very grace of God. Now listen, we are to assemble to exhort, pray, serve one another. This can only be effectively done if we are together. Now, as you look at the whole of the New Testament, you discover there's a variety of things that happened when the church gathered together. 1 Corinthians tells us they celebrated the Lord's Supper. Chapter 16 says they gathered together, took up offerings. 1 Peter 2 says that when the church gathered together, they were instructed to pray for those in authority and to pray for one another. To pray for their unsaved friends and neighbors. In Acts 14, you see Paul shared what he had done on his missionary journey. So he got the church together and he's sharing it with them. What happened? What happened? He shared what God was doing in his life. All those are ingredients of a church meeting. But how many church meetings do you see those things happening? And that's why we have a 10 o'clock service, because that's that time to share with one another, to pray for one another, to encourage one another, to be part of and know what's going on in each other's lives. The New Testament believers gather on the first day of the week to corporately worship God. And following that tradition, we also meet on Sunday to corporately worship. You don't have to meet on Sunday. You can meet any day. The word worship means honor paid to a superior being. It means to give honor, homage, respect, or adoration, praise, glory to God. The Hebrew word for worship, it's a powerful one. It literally describes the physical act of prostrating yourself before a sovereign, before someone who has complete control over you. The English word worship is derived from the Anglo-Saxon word worth-ship, meaning one worthy of reverence and honor. We give worth to you, okay? So we see that worship is an honoring God. And I think that's essential for believers. And I think corporate worship is essential. You know, we have a phrase that we constantly hear that, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sick of, called social distancing. And people say it's a new normal. It's not normal for me, and it's, you know, it's not going to be, okay? Let me share with you what the Bible says about social distancing. Okay, you ready? Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. All the brothers send you greeting. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 2 Corinthians 13. Greet one another with a holy kiss. First Thessalonians. Greet the, all the brothers with a holy kiss. First Peter 5.14. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Peace to all who are in Christ. Does that sound like social distancing? I don't know. You have to throw these kisses, I guess. Six feet. They got to go six feet. All right? Now, listen. Listen, people. We have to use common sense. If you're sick, quarantine yourself. Stay home. Stay away. But since when do we quarantine healthy people? You always quarantine the sick. You're sick? Stay there. We don't want it. Listen, listen to this, people. This is really important here. In an article in Medical News Today, it says this. The benefits of effective touch expand to measures of physical health as well as mental health and social relationships. One study published in 2014 in the journal Psychological Science suggests that the stress buffer provided by shared hugs actually has a protective effect against respiratory infections. Yeah, that sounds like a cure, right? I thought of you, Anthony, when I, when I read this, okay? Protective effect against respiratory infections. Hugging one another. Also among people who did become ill, those who received emotional support in the form of effective touches showed less severe symptoms of infection. Listen, believers. Whatever you hear the lame stream media telling you, do the opposite, Okay? Go the opposite way cuz whatever they they don't have your best interests in mind. Not at all, okay? Listen, they want us to stay apart. Why? So we can't share, we can't talk, we can't communicate, we can't rise up. No, we're not to separate, stay apart. We're to be together as a body. So I see the local church as essential for believers. Now if the church is essential, why is it not meeting Well, I think there's maybe a couple reasons. I think it's either a matter of fear, fear of the virus, fear of the government, or it's a misguided obedience to the state. Oh, they said we can't do it. We can't do that. Well, let's talk about fear first. The church has been threatened by the government since its inception, and it never backed down. Now, America's writing a new chapter in church history, the day the church backed down. The day the church bowed to Nero. Acts 3 opens with Peter and John on their way to the temple to pray. On their way, they run into this lame man. He's begging at the gate. Peter heals him in the name of Yeshua. And the man causes a huge scene, walking and leaping and praising God. Calm down, man. You're going to draw attention. So it draws a crowd. Because they're like, wow, we know that guy. How's he doing this stuff? So Peter preaches the church's second sermon. And while he's preaching... The temple police arrest them and put them in jail. Okay? And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Yeshua the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them, put them in custody, until the next day for it was already evening. Now that Sadducee, that's an easy name to remember because they don't believe in the resurrection. And that's why they were sad, you see. Okay? Alright, so they arrested them for preaching. Well, the next morning, they're brought before the Sanhedrin, which is the high court of Israel. Now, Israel is a theocracy. Okay? So, the priests function as everything. They're the governors. They're in charge of things. They, the temple police have swords and they carry out executions and whatever else. Okay, so don't think of like this is just the church and we're over here and this is the government. No, it's all one there. Okay, so they bring them before the Sanhedrin, which is the high court of Israel. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? All right, so they take them, they bring them into the council. Now, let me just give you a little Sanhedrinology here for a second, all right? This Sanhedrin was composed of three different groups. First, you have the chief priest with the high priest as president. They were primarily members of the Sadducees, all right? Again, didn't believe in the resurrection, didn't believe in miracles, didn't believe in the supernatural. They gained this position through hereditary lines, all right? This was a very imposing delegation made up of Caiaphas, the high priest, Annas, his father-in-law, who was regarded as the virtual high priest. And second, we have the scribes. The scribes were the keepers of the hidden knowledge. They were the great interpreters of Scripture. It was knowledge alone which gave their power to the scribes. The scribes composed the Pharisaic party and the Sanhedrin. And then the third group was the elders, who differed from the other two in their positions. Uh, they were Heads of the most influential families. That's how they got to be part of the Sanhedrin in Israel. Now, wealth and influence, rather than knowledge or priestly office, secured their seats. Okay. Now, the Sanhedrin's question to Peter and John was this. By what power or what name did you do this? To which Peter responds with another sermon. He says, Let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Yeshua the Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. All right. Yeshua the Christ. What's name? They asked him, what name you do this? And he says, the name of Yeshua of Nazareth. He could have stopped there. That's all they asked him. But Peter, no, he doesn't want to stop there. He says, who you crucified. Oh, how do you think they like that? He just charged the high court with murder. He's just taking him off, okay? And, and that's not a smart move. I mean, these guys... They have the power. They can put him to death. He seems to have no fear of the Jewish leaders. Now let's look at the Sanhedrin's response to Peter's third sermon. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident as the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny. All right, they healed a man. They did a miracle. We can't deny that. Let's figure out a way to stop it. We don't like miracles, okay? We don't want anybody doing miracles around here. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them, they called them back in before the sand heater, and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Yeshua. So the Jewish leadership, the governing authorities, they tell them, you don't speak, you don't teach in the name of Yeshua, keep your mouth shut. So what did they do? What do they do? They keep their mouth shut? Why not? The government told them to. But Peter and John answered them Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. This is an encouraging response, you know, okay? Basically, they're saying, mm, We're going to do what we need to do, all right? They're not intimidated at all by the high court. Peter and John are here promising. Civil disobedience. You tell us we can't, we're going to do it. Now remember that they're speaking to the highest religious authority in that day. It's a fearful thing to be dragged before this great Sanhedrin court. These were the same leaders who decided to put Yeshua to death and set in motion the crucifixion. What was to say they wouldn't do that to them? They didn't seem to care. Okay? If you were given this same command by the Sanhedrin, what would you have said? Most of us probably would have said nothing. We may have thought, well, we'll keep quiet for now, but as soon as we get out of here, then we're away from them. We'll talk. We'll do what we want to do. We will just don't want to upset them. Peter didn't feel that way. He defied the court. He defied the court. Why? Because he was right. You know, last week, Shelley Luther defied the court. They arrested a salon leader in Texas. Why? She opened her business. That is a heinous crime. Opening a business to support yourself and your family. Okay? They told her to shut down. I loved it because last week, you know, they had a picture of her salon. Salon owner told her to shut down. And outside were about six, seven guys with AR-15s and full gear standing there like, come on, shut it down. And so they left her alone for a while. Well, then they finally drag her into court. And an Obama-era judge is in the court. And so he tells her, I'll just, I will let you go if you apologize for being so selfish. She goes, I'm not being selfish. I'm trying to feed my family, and that's not selfish. And she defied the court. I'm not apologizing. So they threw her in jail. Lieutenant Governor, Governor, everybody got involved, and boom, get her out of there, okay? Get her out of there. She refused. She she Civil disobedience, because what the government's doing is wrong. But most people don't care it's wrong. They just bow to it. Yes, my Lord, if you say, we bow. How many of you have ever been in a courtroom? You go before a judge... <laughs> It can be very intimidating because he's got incredible power. You know, he tells the bailiff, lock them up, boom, you know. He can fine you, jail you, he can make your life miserable. So most sane people are intimidated by a judge and seek to do whatever they can to not offend the judge. But not Peter. And not Shelley. All right? Peter confronts the court with their sin using his own scriptures. You know, we fear a judge who can at the most find us and give us a jail time. Peter is fearless in the face of what could be physical torture, 39 lashes, and possibly death. Peter and John return to their companions after they're released. They go back to the group of believers and they turn to God in prayer. And you know what they prayed for? Protection from the Sanhedrin? Nope. Safety? Nope. Keep us out of trouble? No. Nope. What they pray for? Boldness. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. The Greek word for boldness here, parisia, it means free and fearless confidence, cheerful courage, boldness, assurance. They have it. They're bold already. But what do they say? Lord, give us more boldness because we realize in the face of persecution, people back down. People get scared when authorities threaten them. So, Lord, give us more boldness. Let us stand up and face whatever is coming our way. So they pray for boldness. They pray for confidence. Because they realize they could get weak in the midst of persecution. They didn't pray, God, make sure nobody else threatens us. Make sure nobody persecutes us. They understood this is going to cost us. They just said, God, give us boldness to step it up and accomplish the mission. Let me ask you something, believer. When's the last time you pray for boldness? And when we pray, God, give me, help me get a better job, help me feel better, help me, blah, 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 all these lists of laundry. When's the last time you prayed, Lord, give me boldness to declare your word? They didn't ask to be delivered. They didn't even ask God to judge or punish the Sanhedrin. They were only concerned about their mission, not their comfort. In Acts 5, they're in the temple preaching, and guess what? They get arrested again, okay? But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and they filled with jealousy. Here's the problem, man. They're just jealous, okay? They arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. All right, so they get stuck in prison. That night, an angel shows up, sets them free, opens the doors, go on. He doesn't say, run for the hills, go back home. He says, go back to the temple and keep on preaching. And guess what? They do it. <laughs> they do it. They go back, and guess what? They're arrested again. Then the captain with the officers went. They go down to the temple and brought them, but not by force. They're afraid of being stoned by the people. See, when the people get together and turn against the authorities, they have power, okay? They have power, but so they're careful. We don't want to get stoned here. And when they had brought them and set them before the council, to so they bring them in the midst of the council, the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in his name. We command you, you don't do that. Now watch. Yet, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. I love it. Civil disobedience. Alright? And you intend to bring this man's blood on us. Well, their response is, But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. This is not even a choice here. So again, the governing authorities tell them to do this. They won't obey it. Then again, he preaches to them, and their response is this. When they heard this, they were enraged, and they wanted to kill him. We've got to get rid of these people. All right, so now they're really mad. Let's just kill him. But there's a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel. And Gamaliel, he says, uh, let's get these guys outside. I need to talk to everybody. All right? Come on in here. Let's talk together. So he gets the council together. When he had called the apostles, they beat them. Well, now they're calling the apostles back in after they talk. We're not going to kill them. When we call them back in, they beat them. 39 lashes. Okay? This is is what they got. Listen, they knew this going in. They knew this was a possibility. They take off their clothes and they... Just open their back up with 39 lashes. Okay? And they charged them not to speak in the name of Yeshua. Don't do it again. And then they let them go. They left the presence of the council rejoicing. What? That must be something wrong with that translation. They left rejoicing. They just got beat. we would have most likely responded to a beating by saying, God, the angel told me to do it. I was just doing what you told me to do. Why am I getting beat? People, the reality is, down through church history, God has never promised that there won't be wounds and scars. And even the loss of life for the cause of Christ. The history of the church is paved with the blood of the martyrs who took a stand and were persecuted and died for the cause of Christ. They're severely beaten and their response is to rejoice. What on earth is wrong with these people? How do you describe people whose values are so counterculture that they rejoice over the privilege of being beaten in public? Are they sadomasochists? What else would cause this type of response? Why are they so different from us? In America, the government says, shut down the churches. Okay, okay, shut it down. They didn't threaten to beat us. Anything severe like this. The disciples responded this way because they were disciples of Yeshua. And their rabbi had taught them in Matthew 5, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. That's what they're doing. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now notice three times here, persecuted. That means Yeshua is putting great emphasis on this. The Greek word here for persecuted comes from dioko. It means to pursue or chase away. Over time it came to mean to harass or treat in an evil manner. In the New Testament, it's used of inflicting suffering on people who hold beliefs that the establishment frowns on. It's this kind of persecution of which Yeshua speaks here. The Greek text contains a perfect passive participle. So Yeshua's words could be translated like this. Blessed are they who have been willing and continue to be willing to allow themselves to be persecuted. The perfect tense indicates an ongoing attitude. The passive voice speaks of being willing to accept Whatever comes as a result of living out Christ's commands. Well, I think it's clear from the text in Acts that the apostles believed Yeshua's words about rejoicing and persecution. Notice what they do next. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Yeshua. Didn't slow them down a beat. They threatened them, they beat them, but they couldn't stop them. Their persecution just caused them to rejoice. Now Yeshua's words about persecution weren't even relevant in our society up until a couple months ago. I mean, we wouldn't have considered any kind of persecution, you know, for doing it's just it's been too easy here, too free here. But I think things are different now. Our government is telling us we can't meet as a church. You say, Well, they got good reasons. I got a good reason too. It's called the First Amendment of the Constitution. And it's called, God Says We Are Supposed to Meet. So the last couple of months, most churches have obeyed the government and they just stopped meeting. A few pastors have continued to meet. One was arrested. Others were fined. The fines were dismissed. That pastor got out of jail. This is America. This is America. Listen. They are letting child molesters and rapists out of jail So they don't catch COVID-19 and they're locking up preachers for the heinous act of holding a church service. And what happens to America? They're just silent. They're silent. They bow into these dictators. Religious persecution, people, is new to us. But I want you to understand this morning that in some parts of the world, Christians have always been persecuted for their faith. And you should know that better than anybody because every week we have the persecuted church up here we're hearing about Christians around the world that are suffering. According to the World Christian Encyclopedia, 2.2 billion people live in 79 countries under significant restrictions on their religious freedom. 60% of all Christians live in these countries. 16%, 224 million, of all Christians live in countries where there is severe state interference and harassment. William Barclay, who cannot be accused of orthodoxy, but he's a good historian, he writes this. Still further, the penalties which a Christian had to suffer were terrible beyond description. All the world knows of the Christians who were flung to the lions or burned at the stake. How'd you like that? Your persecution, we'll throw you before a lion's den. Just let the lions eat you. Sounds like a good death, doesn't it? But these were kindly deaths, he says. Nero wrapped the Christians in pitch and set them alight, and used them as living torches to light his gardens. He would literally put a stake through these people, cover them with tar, and light them. Okay? This is what Christians went through. He sewed them in the skins of wild animals, and set his hunting dogs upon them to tear them to death. They were tortured on the rack, they were scraped with pinchers, molten lead was poured hissing upon them, Red-hot brass plates were affixed to the tenderest parts of their bodies. Eyes were torn out. Parts of their bodies were cut off and roasted before their eyes. Their hands and feet were burned while cold water was poured over them to enlighten the agony. These were conditions for early Christians in many parts of the world. Believers are suffering just as much today in many parts of the world. Today in China, millions of members of house churches are considered outlaws and criminals. Why? Because their churches are not registered with their atheistic government. It appears that anywhere from 11 million to 100 million Chinese Christians belong to these underground churches. Many are arrested, and when they're arrested, they're sent to hard labor camps. But listen to me, people, listen to me. They still meet. If we get caught meeting, we can be tortured by the government. We are sent to a hard labor camp for the rest of our lives, and they still meet. And Christians today, government might find us. We're not meeting. Persecution watchdog organization, Open Doors, states, Christians remain one of the most persecuted religious groups in the world. While persecution of Christians takes many forms, It is defined as any hostility experienced as a result of identification with Christ. Christians throughout the world continue to risk imprisonment, loss of home, assets, torture, rape, and even death as a result of their faith, and they still meet. Among the most shocking violence-related data disclosed during the Open Doors annual World Watch List press conference was a report citing that more than 9,000 churches and Christian buildings were attacked in 51 countries in 2019. More than 5,500 of those attacks took place in China. This number represents more than a 1000% increase since 2018. So we'd live in this fantasy world where oh, everything's wonderful and the rest of the world's suffering, all right? This is increasing from 18 to 19. And yet Christians still meet what is wrong with these people? Believers around the world are dying while worshiping, yet, American Christians stop meeting because we might get fine. The cops might show up. People, we need to pray for boldness. I'm serious. We need to pray for boldness. We are so soft living in this country. We've been so pampered and got away with so much that, you know, if things change, we better wake up. Okay? May God help us. On Monday, May 4th, 2020, Governor Ralph Northam, Governor Blackface, announced a three-phase plan to open the Commonwealth. Phase one is set to be implemented on May 15th, 2020. Under phase one is planned social gathering of more than 10, still banned, social distancing still in effect. Well, then on Friday he came out and he revised it, okay? May 8th. He modified his orders to say the churches can reopen in phase one, which is starting on May 15th, At 50% capacity with increased sanitation. So now, guess what? Half of the church gets to me! Yay! Thank you so much, your Lord and Savior, Governor Northam. Right? Are we happy? Are we thankful? (laughs) Listen, we need to stand up, church, because there's no reason for this. You know when this started? You know what the excuse was? We're afraid if we don't social distance, if we don't Stay at home. The hospitals will be overrun. And they will have no place to put these people. You know what's happened? The hospitals have been empty. I talk to doctors. They say, we have nothing going on at these hospitals. Because they're not allowed to do, you know, surgeries that aren't essential, so to speak. Okay? You can't have elective surgeries. So the doctors are sitting. Hospitals are shutting down now because they don't have funds. But this is why we started it. But our hospitals are empty. But does it stop? Oh, no. Oh, no. We'll push on with the plan. We'll push on with it. Northam said this virus is still here. It has not gone away, and it will not go away until we have a vaccination. That's their plan, people. Mass vaccinations. See, their plan, I think, was to keep the country shut down until after the election so they could steal the election through mail-in voting. It never happened because Trump's getting it going back up again, Okay. But listen, people, if you're, if you're worried that you have to stay locked down until the vaccine, don't worry, because Bill Gates, he is working so hard to get you a vaccination. He'll come up with one. And listen, how stupid is a person that takes a vaccination from the guy that's a eugenist? Okay? His goal is to cut the population down. His goal is to do away with most people. He's a eugenist. He's of noble birth. And so he wants to do away with these other people. He's around the world vaccinating everybody. He must love people, Right? He's trying to kill them, people. Wake up. You know, it's against the law to sue. You cannot sue a vaccine company. How nice. Make whatever you want, inject into people. Doesn't matter what happens to them. You can't sue them. Can't do anything. Wow. How do we get so screwed up, people? How did this happen? As I said last week, I believe there are two exceptions to Christians obeying the authorities. All right? Two exceptions. Number one if what the authority is telling us to do is a violation of God's Word. We are never to violate Scripture in order to submit to anyone. Peter says, we need to obey God, not you. Alright? But let me qualify this here, because I want you to understand this. The Bible is very clear that it commands Christians to be subject to governing authorities. Alright? 1 Peter 2.13-14 Even when these authorities are evil people. You know, by nature, I think we're all rebels. Maybe some more than others, right? Watch it. (laughs) And oftentimes it'll just be our pride that causes us to rebel against authority. You know, we don't want anyone telling us what to do. Well, I want you to understand that submission is a mark of a spirit-controlled believer. Ephesians 5, 18-21. Do not get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. But watch, be filled with the Spirit. The word filled is plerao. It means be controlled by the Spirit of God. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing make making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord, Yeshua the Christ, submitting to one another in reverence to Christ. So, believers, as Spirit-controlled believers, submission is to be a mark of that. In order to come our pride, which causes us rebellion, we're to be controlled by the Spirit. We are to submit, but... There are limits on submission. We are never to violate Scripture in order to submit to anyone. You understand that? Never. If the governing authorities command you to do something that would be disobedient to God, then we obey God. Even if it results in punishment, torture, death. If our authority misuses God-given power to command what He forbids or forbid what He commands, then the Christian's duty is to disobey the human authority and to obey God. As Christians, no earthly law can exceed the Word of God. Listen, if the government says we cannot meet as Christians, we cannot teach what the Bible says about homosexuality or abortion or fornication or any other moral issues, we need to disobey. They don't tell us what to do. They're not the boss of us. Okay? So that's the exception. And listen, God tells his people to meet. The government says no. What are we going to listen to? All right, the second exception to us obeying authorities is if they violate the law of the land. If they violate the Constitution. See, as Americans, now this is, I'm speaking just to Americans here, the supreme law of the land is the Constitution of the United States. Under our laws and forms of government, it's the duty of every elected official to obey the Constitution and the Constitution of his state. They swear an oath to do that. Now, Northam extended Executive Order 53 until the evening of Thursday, May 14th. And this order placed temporary restrictions on restaurants, recreational activity. You can't go to the beach, can't have fun outside. If his previous order was to expire on May 8th, now he extended it. And we don't know if he's going to extend it past the 15th. You know, he might be trying to, let's keep you pacified. If you only have another week to wait, well, then we'll jump it up another week. And then we'll just, who knows what he's going to do. All right, I want you to listen to this. Michael Anthony Perica for the Institutes of Constitutional Rights says this. What are executive orders? Right now, our lives are being severely affected by executive orders. So it's imperative for us to understand just what they are and what they are not. Back in 1789, George Washington, you all know who he is, right? His first executive order was to the heads of departments, and here's the order, to impress me with a full, precise, and distinct general idea of the affairs of the United States. Now, he says, as you may know, the first president's order was addressed to officials of the executive branch of the national government it was applicable to those already under his authority as head of the executive branch. Properly understood, this is the nature of executive orders. They are directives or policy instructions addressed to and binding upon persons who are already under the authority of the executive. But they have no binding effect on anyone else. They are not law. They do not have the force of law. Only legislators have law-making power. You understood that? Legislators the only ones that can make laws. And that power is specified and limited by the Constitution. So, if the governor of Maryland... This guy, this, this he works on Maryland. His, his organization is in Maryland. If the governor of Maryland wanted to do so, he could direct its department heads and employees in the executive agencies of Maryland to wear masks and stay six feet apart while they're in the state office buildings. He could arguably order them to do that because they work for him. But he can't order the rest of us to do that because we don't work for him. He works for us. Executive orders have their purpose in place, but it is crucial that all Marylanders, and especially those in law enforcement, understand they are not law and cannot lawfully be enforced. Listen, people, any police officer, any deputy, any sheriff who attempts to arrest you for a violation of an executive order should be reminded that they swore to uphold the Constitution of the United States and that the governor's executive orders are a violation of the Constitution. We're hearing around the country, some sheriffs, some are doing that. They're saying, I'm not arresting anybody. This is ridiculous. Okay? So, If what the authorities tell us to do something that's a violation of God's Word, we don't have to do it. If they violate the Constitution, we don't have to do it. Now listen to this. Last week, pastors from around Virginia, over 200 pastors got together. They signed a letter and sent it to Governor Northam asking him to allow churches to gather again. I didn't sign that. It made me sick to my stomach. Who is he that we have to ask him if we can meet? God's told us to meet. Why do we ask him? This letter goes on to cite the Bible saying this. Corporate worship, this is in the letter they wrote to Northam, corporate worship is commanded by Scripture and that closures are pushing Christians to choose between sinning against God or breaking the law. You know, this is ridiculous, and they need to better understand the Constitution and the Bible if they're going to write dumb stuff like this, okay? Listen, corporate worship is commanded by Scripture, they say. Well then, do it! You don't need His permission to do anything the Scripture tells you to do. Why are you asking His permission? We don't want to get in trouble. You bunch of wimps, stand up and do what's right. Okay? This country's in such a for boldness, America. Or they'll be breaking the law. They're not breaking a law. The governor's orders are not law. We're under the Constitution. Oh my gosh, we need to have a class on the Constitution, people. People need to learn what the laws are of this country. So they're not afraid of everybody and everything. We have liberties. We have freedoms. We have the right to assemble. We have the right to practice our religion however we want. And they got no business sticking their nose in it. Write a letter. Oh, please, Mr. Governor, sir. Can we meet? Oh, he bowed his knee. He said, I'm going to help you poor people out since you're graveling before me. Half of you can meet. Listen, people, what the government does violates both these things, okay? Both these things, and we don't have to bow to them. People, this lockdown is not about a virus, okay? It's about power. It's about control. You know why I know that? Because we have a cure. And why would you be afraid of a virus if you have a cure? Now, I'm going to read you a little bit of an article from pubmed.gov, all right? This is a medical thing. I love going here and just searching through stuff because you can find all kinds of articles written by doctors on different things, all right? Well, an article published, listen, in 2005, August 22nd, 2005, says this. Chloroquine is a potent inhibitor of SARS coronavirus infection and spread. 2005, all right? The article states, results. We report that chloroquine has strong antiviral effects on sars cov infection of primate cells. The inhibitory effects are observed when the cells are treated with the drug either before or after exposure to the virus, uh, suggesting both prophylactic and therapeutic advantage. So if you take it before you get it, it keeps you from getting it. If you take it when you get it, it does away with it. Here's their conclusion. Chloroquine is effective in preventing the spread of SARS-CoV in cell culture. Favorable inhibition of virus spread was observed when the cells were either treated with chloroquine prior to or after SARS-CoV infection. 2005. And that's why President Trump said hydro- chloroquine, huh? Who wrote? Oh, Fauci wrote this? I don't know. I didn't look at the see who did write this article, but yeah, they knew this. They knew and that's why they're so against Hydroxychloroquine, because it works, and if it works, it shuts down the the whole scam they got going on. They don't want it shut down. They're pushing another drug that that costs a fortune, and they don't, listen, this is a safe, this drug's been out for 65 years. People have been using this, no side effects, all right? Let me go on. 2,300 doctors, this is present, and 30 different countries have been using hydroxychloroquine and say it's effective. These are not government employees. These are just private doctors trying to help people. Renowned French virologist, Didier Riault, released his own study on hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin just a few weeks ago. He said it demonstrates 91% effectiveness in more than 1,000 patients with zero side effects. But better not take that drug. Because the side effects might be zero. And how do we deal with that? Believers, listen to me. Our government is overstepping its purpose, it's overstepping its boundaries. It has no right to tell the church what to do on any level, okay? The local church is essential, and we need to meet for corporate worship of the living God. And if we're backing down, we, you know, can you imagine what the countries around the world think of us right now, these American Christians? They're looking at us, they're saying, we're dying, we're going to concentration camps, we're having our, our, our family you know, taken before us and beaten and raped and murdered, and they're not meeting because they might get a fine. Believers, we need to pray for boldness. We need to pray for our president. We need to pray for the patriots that are trying to turn this ship around and get it right. And I'll tell you what, I was encouraged last week, okay, when Flynn got exonerated, that's the beginning. Okay? That's the beginning. And it's not going to stop there. Okay? So pray for our president. Pray for us, people. I mean, how effective is the church going to be when we're so wimpy? So afraid? We talk about serving a sovereign God and we walk around with our heads down like, oh, I better not do that. All right. I've got to stop. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank You for Your love for us. Lord, I pray we'd come to understand Your sovereign control over everything. We understand we're called to worship and serve You, and nobody can tell us any different, Lord. Father, I pray we wouldn't be known as rebels or radicals, but we would submit when we can. But Father, when it comes to Your Word, when it comes to violations of the law that we're under, help us to be bold. Help us to take a stand and honor You through it, Lord. Lord, thank you for your grace to us. Amen. Okay, questions, comments. <laughs> Jack. Church is basically an immune system. You need to strengthen it every once in a while. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you know, and may and listen. Okay, he's got a good. He's on a good line there because you know what the key to the strength of the church is persecution. persecution. That's what drives the church. And that's why our church is so weak and wimpy in this country. We have no persecution. Did everybody hear what he said? I don't know. Everybody, did you hear that? I did. She she turns the thing on, so I don't I mean They should. They should. They should have. They <laughs> Gary. Well, <clears throat> thank you for the message. It's worthning quite thirty nine lashes, but it was Sufficient. (laughs) Say that again. What? (laughs) (laughs) message wasn't quite thirty-nine lashes on us, but it it, was sufficient. Well, you know, I mean, the churches are preaching health, wealth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and we're just getting so weak that it's it's sad. It really is sad. They're afraid to meet. Dan. My wife said that over in her hospital, they're using that as a protocol, the hydro-whatever. Hydroxychloroquine. Hydroxychloroquine. Yeah. Yeah, guess what? It works. It works, and there's no side effects. How amazing. Mm-hmm. How smart would that be to use it? And, the cost and we've got a lot of it now, because President Trump is bringing it in, getting it manufactured, mm-hmm. stocking up on this. We got it. Okay? Mm-hmm. Even though they tried to deliver it, yeah. they it with that stupid yeah, Yeah, they, you know, the media's all pushing that fake VA test, you know, to try to scare you, because we don't want, we want you scared, people. You can't be scared if we have a cure. Shut off that media. They're all just a bunch of idiots. They're all so fake it isn't funny. And they're being exposed, which I think is pretty cool, you know, because that's what needs to happen. need to get out there and let them know what idiots these people are. Stan? Uh, Two things. One is, in our whole county now, this is. There's probably more, but there was 9,000 people in the whole county when we first got there, so there's probably, I don't know, whatever. It's growing. But three tested positive. Now, granted, you know, testing and all that crap, but only three out of 9,000. The other thing is, and, you know, God is sovereign. He's causing all this. And it's almost like all these governors and all, he's blinding them. I think if the people rise up, well, only believers will. This could be the end of the Democratic Party as we know it because you look at Pelosi, thirteen dollar a pound ice cream, and she's showing it off on TV. It's like I, I well, wouldn't believe that. My opinion this on the this. End of them. My opinion on this is President Trump never shut the country down. He let the governors do that. Mm-hmm. He's not open to this country. He says time to let the governors do that. Why? So he can, the governors are exposing themselves. It is being seen what tyrants these people are, you know, closing down beaches in California. And then the people revolted basically and said, no, no. And so then he backed down because, yeah, he is afraid of that. The people have to stand up. You know, we have to do that. We have to fight back. We can't just, you know, but people don't seem to want to do that here. Yeah, well, that's we need to get the militias back up and running, and you know, because if we don't, we got this little tyrant up in Richmond who's, you know, writing twelve hundred laws he signed in in, in the last couple of weeks. Twelve hundred. He's just going nuts. He's out of his out of control because he's, you know, part of the deep state and the whole mess that's going on up there. Mm-hmm. Gary. Well, <clears throat> sad testimony. On the way here, we passed. 12 or 13 churches. Only one of them had cars in the parking lot. And that was the flighty unity worldwide church or something like that. Not this corner. Well, like I said last week, some churches need to be shut down. They're not doing anything anyway, okay? So go ahead and shut them down. But, you know, if they're preaching the Bible and if they're encouraging people through the Word of God, then yeah, they need to meet and you need to stand up and meet. I mean, how, how far do you think we really let them do go with this stuff before we, you know, decided to do something about it, you know? Without stopping them, they'll go as far as... Yeah, they're going to go as far as we allow them, that's for sure. Claire. Right. Claire. I go to a doctor, um, and he's very upset that I won't take a flu shot. And he keeps pressuring me, pressuring me, pressuring me. Okay, when they come down with this vaccine for coronavirus, how are we... What do we do with that? Say no. Just say no. Just say no. Just say no. no. I mean, you know, if it becomes a mandatory thing where they're going to give it to you or then there's going to be blood on whoever tries to give me it, okay? Because I'm not, I'm not taking a shot that, you know, is meant to kill you. You know, the statistics say that the more flu shots you have gotten over the years, the higher your likelihood of Alzheimer's is. Wow. I was told by a uh, dear friend of mine one day, if you don't take the flu shot, you could cause my husband to die. See, that's the whole, that's the whole fear thing, you know? Yeah, it's a the whole mess. It's a vaccine shaming. Yeah. And that's again, this is this is because these people are just going along with the narrative. You know, this is what they're hearing, this is what they're being taught, and they don't think, they don't know that you know all these people are lying. That's why we have to let people know. If they're interested in information at all, we got to get them the information. We got to help them be awakened to what's happening here, so the fear will stop, and they can do what they need to do. Ah, so frustrating. So frustrating, people. But it's waking us up. Well, I hope an so. I hope so. I hope the church gets woke, okay? Because we need to get woke well, because yeah. we are sleeping and it's time to wake up and take a stand, you know, and I, I personally, people, personally, I'm embarrassed by these pastors who signed a letter begging our governor to let us do something God has told us to do. Again, lack of understanding of the Bible and the Constitution.